Enter the creative world with Mind Your Own Marketing Business. Explore a variety of trends in the creative landscape, getting insider knowledge and advice from the industry's George is proud to present Mind Your Own Marketing host, Tim Barsons. Thanks for joining us on the Mind Your Own Marketing Business podcast. I'm Tim Barsness, founder of web and mobile development team Fjord. And today on our show, we'll, we will be talking with Kevin Lamana about his full service agency, Monday Loves You. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you could be here. So, Kevin, you're the founder of Monday Loves You. Can you can you tell us a little bit about how you came to found your agency? Uh, yeah, sure. So, I mean, we started about nine years ago um, as an app for music teachers. And long story short, we started we started getting um, in front of a lot of nonprofits, and they it was kind of in the in the midst of the recession, and a lot of them were kind of just going under. So, we changed our name and kind of changed our direction and. Um, really just kind of went where the wind took us, I think. And um, and it was really just kind of solving big problems using technology. So really kind of taking much more of an agency approach. And that's kind of where we're at now. So what did that look like, that transition from being a product com- company to being a service company? Usually I hear of companies trying to go the other direction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's, that's a really interesting point. So um, the name that we used to have was called Social Rays, which um, I think became antiquated very quickly. And, uh, you know, it just kind of sounds like information superhighway, you know, Social Rays just sounds weird. But I think one of the big things is that over, over time, I think people really stopped understanding the value of a technology product. I mean, so many technology products are are free. And I think people look at that and there's not a ton of perceived value. And really, I think it's so difficult to solve problems just using technology. It really is about knowing the organization. So we just kind of inherently took that took that route, um, becoming much more of a service-based organization versus product. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. If um, If you are building a software product for a niche and they expect your product to be free, you can't really make that up in volume, can you? No, no, you can't. Um, and I think, yeah, it just didn't, just the technology and technology alone without anything else, it's just, I, I feel like that is just becoming an industry that's extremely saturated. Um, and I don't know, it just, it, it's, it's again, it kind of goes back to that perceived value, which I think is just becoming more and more diminished over time. Totally. Um, so tell me a little bit more about Kevin. What did you do before you started um, before you started your software product, Social Race? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I went to school for piano performance and management information technology. So it was kind of a weird intersection of things, which I always found interesting because I think, you know, in the world that we do, it's kind of that intersection of, you know, analytical thinking and creativity. Um, so I always wanted to do something that was kind of in the, in the midst of that. But um, I worked at uh, General Electric for about three years, kind of going to country to country, working on how their banks kind of calculate interest. Um, it sounds really boring because it really was. It was really <laughs> terrible. It was really terrible. Um, and then I, I, I led a technology division of Merrill Lynch for a couple of years and then worked on the agency side. And that was kind of the introduction of kind of doing, doing all the stuff that I'm doing now. But it's always kind of been you know, I've always kind of touched technology in some way, shape, or form. So it sounds like um, Social Rays then was a um, uh, kind of going back to your roots in the, the music industry. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, you know, because I mean, it started off with the, kind of this, you know, this very music-based product. So naturally, I was just 
in front of a lot of uh, music-based organizations. That's what I kind of like to do. So it just kind of went there. Um, yeah, and that's just, you know, now a lot of our clients are based in music or the arts. Um, you know, we do we do a ton of work with Yamaha and their music division. So, uh, you know, it's really lucky. It's because it's, it's, it's nice to be around musicians and they're super passionate and, you know, they they went into that obviously for a reason. So you definitely see that passion in, in the projects that we do with them, which really makes my job really fun. Totally. What's the coolest thing you've done in your career? I would say it's probably this project called Sound Mondo. Um, it's a project that we did with Yamaha that allows music instruments to pass MIDI data directly to the browser. So MIDI has been around since the early 80s, but uh, it was with the release of a Google Chrome update that allowed MIDI data to be passed directly to, to the browser. So what that did allowed uh, musicians from all around the world to actually share their sounds and their creation from uh, music instrument to music instrument so it really was just it was it was really interesting i, I don't want to say it's groundbreaking because i feel like that's a very trite term but it was it was super cool and it was very well received within the music world and is that still around today it is yeah it's on uh, if you go to soundmondo.com it is it is there um currently it's compatible with just a very finite number of of products but um but yeah it's 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 still it's still running and, and doing quite well got it so back to monday loves you what what types of work um, does your agency do today? Sure. So it's really a mix of anything from digital strategy, digital marketing, uh, site development, um, a lot of a mix, with, a lot of mix with CRM and really understanding how organizations are using data to communicate with their people. You know, obviously, some organizations that you are going to want to talk to different customer segments, very different from one to the other. But I think you know what what we do that I think is is different, and I think really a lot of organizations should take this approach. Is just really kind of focusing on the problem at hand. Um, you know, so what problem is an organization have is having? You know, how can you make the problem go away? And really kind of focusing on that. You know, every problem needs kind of a different mix of some of those tools, and that's what we really try to do. How often would you say when you first meet with a prospect, do they fully understand what their problem is? I would say it. I would say it is less than 20%. Um, I think that they know what their goal is, but not necessarily the problem. Right. So, I mean, every organization is like, hey, like, I'm, I'm, I'm launching a product. Um, I want to get a bunch of business. Okay, that's great. But what are the problems? What are the things that's preventing you to doing that? So, um, and I think a lot of the stuff in the CRM world, um, people, don't, people don't know what even exists. So it's really difficult for them to understand kind mm -hmm. of, you know, what type of goal, what, what, like, how do you even get there? So I think a lot of it's really just kind of educating the possibilities and the potential that's out there. Yeah, totally. So Kevin, what does an ideal client look like for you? For you? Um, an ideal client, I think it's really someone that allows us to kind of take an idea and run with it and allows us to um, be creative and apply creative direction and really come to the table with really just big ideas and have them being, being, being receptive. Uh, but also a client that really provides, you know, clear thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, if they hate idea, if they hate an idea, let us know. If they love an idea, let's run with it. But really, just kind of allowing us to do the things that we love to do. Um, that's that's kind of, we can't really ask anything more of a client than that. Do you find that you can identify um, that in a in the sales process, or are you um, typically finding that out after you start working with someone? We've been really lucky. Um, I think it's usually always in the sales process. Um, we understand what kind of organization um, it is. And, you know, I would say from any time that we do a proposal, 
um, I'd say probably 80 to 90% ends up becoming becoming a customer, um, which that's a, you know the stat that I'm I'm really really happy with. Um, but usually kind of in the proposal process, you know, we, we really outline big ideas. We're extremely transparent with what we're going to do. We don't hide anything back. Um, and, you know, we meet internally to really provide a ton of ideas and a ton of direction. And, you know, worst case scenario, they, they you know, they don't go with us, but um, they have, you know, these ideas that they could take to another agency. And, and that's and that's fine. But um, I think really just being transparent with what we're going to do and if they react very positively to that, then I think, you know, we have a really good idea of what type of client they're going to be. Sure. So um, I'm curious, as you start down that process, at what point do you try and introduce that you need to be compensated for something? Are you um, saying up front that, you know, call it meeting number two um, is where I expect that we'd be paid? Or um, how do you how do you think about approaching um, when to when to bring compensation sure. into the picture? Sure. So usually, you know, we have, I would say, two or three meetings before anything is anything goes to like an official statement of work. Yep. Um, so it's really not until the statement of work is reviewed and signed upon um, where the project kicks off. So, you know, there is definitely a ton of time that goes into any type of proposal that we put together. Um, but that's that's also necessary for, you know, that's that, that's necessary for the project. And um, and, you know, if we get the project, then that time is not spent for naught. But um, but yeah, it, it is, you know, Compensation does come much later in our in our process, and you know I'm okay with that. Got it. Um, and you're con you're confident in your qualification process as a way to um, give out what I would call free consulting. Yeah, I think so. You know, we haven't we haven't been burned by it, um, and yeah, I think it's I think the second that we get really burned by it, it may be different. You know, it's this is a this is a weird analogy, but you know the, the the street in front of where I live here in here in Chicago, it's 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 paid to park there, but they never really ticket anybody. So we're always like, once they start ticketing someone, then we will change. You know, recommending our friends to park there. So it's kind of the same. It's kind of the same way with what we do. Um, it's we've been we've been lucky, and it it hasn't. It's always it has not been a detriment to this day. Got it. That makes sense to me. So you guys work in the, the fundraising arena. Um, I'm curious for an orga organization that's new to fundraising, um, where where do, where do you get started? So I think a big part of it is just knowing that digital marketing is more than just a donate now button. Um, a lot of people think of it as a very transactional type of thing where it's like, if we have a way to accept funds on the site, then that's digital fundraising. And it's really not, it's all about making your story extremely clear, the outcomes of the story, um, how have organizations helped people, and then fundraising will really typically follow that. It's all about, it's all about really communicating um, impact and, and, and what they do, which a lot of nonprofits I think are doing well and a lot of profits, a lot of nonprofits aren't doing well. But I think it's first just really understanding the capacity um, and also, and also fundraising is not just for um, for, for people. It's about telling your story and relaying that story to larger foundations or corporate giving as well. So I think it's just really getting them out of that mindset of it's not just for a bunch of people donating money. It's also for foundations and larger organizations as well. So if you compare um, online fundraising to the, the traditional models, um, I'm curious, is there a difference in mentality around how it works? Yeah, I think it's I think a lot of it's also generational. Um, I think a lot of I think a lot of leaders in the, in the nonprofit space are really used to doing things a very traditional way. 
um, and that has worked and it's still needed. You know, the executive director still needs to go out and do the big asks. Um, but it's also it's also silly to not have a you know a site an entire digital infrastructure set up that supports that process as well um, and get you know having marketing automation behind it and again telling your story and you know nurturing the people that's interested so I, I think yeah I really do I think it's just a lot about um, explaining to nonprofit leaders of, of of what's out there and what really exists and what's what's possible totally. Um, when going digital, people often hope for increased efficiency in whatever they're doing. I'm curious if that translates to the fundraising arena as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, nonprofits are constantly asked to do much more with, with much less. So, I mean, one of the things that any nonprofits can do is just first thing, go out there and get, you know, there's, there's a grant out there for $120,000 a year from Google that will give you $120,000 of free digital spending, you know, free, 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 free text ads on Google, um, which is insane. So getting that, getting that set up and then having marketing automation behind it. So um, if they go, you know, if they go to the, if they go to the page and they sign up for more information, putting some type of nurture stream behind that. So again, people are getting to know this more, but so much is just getting that infrastructure. So the technology can do the things that technology should be doing. And then humans can do the things that humans can be doing. So that grant, is that a one-time thing? No, no. Um, as long as as long as you do the things that Google asks you to do, um, and there's a lot there. There's you know making tweaks on a monthly basis, having conversions set up. Um, you need a certain relevancy score. I mean, I, I won't bore you with the details, but if you do kind of basic maintenance on that, you'll be automatically renewed um, year after year. Um, it's it's a it's it's kind of the biggest. It's it's us. I think it's the biggest digital no brainer that every nonprofit should do. Um, it. it it makes me sad when people don't don't apply for it. Totally. Um, I'm curious if you if you put in one hundred twenty thousand dollars, what would a good return on that be? That's a really good question. I think it it really applies to several different areas of the organization. One, obviously, donations. Two, increased events uh, event attendance. Three. Um, board reach and getting really quality board members um, and obviously program participants. So if someone's needing a service that that nonprofit is providing, increasing that number as well. So, um, I, so I think it's really tough to put a monetary value, um, but it, you should see all of those main KPIs across the organization dramatically increase. If not, then something is severely wrong with how the ads are set up or how it's being maintained. Sure. That makes sense. Um, it's interesting that you bring, um, you know, traditional models back into the the fundraising digital fundraising um, arena I'm I'm curious um, do you value some, uh, somebody who contributes um, online the same way that you would val value a traditional um, contributor absolutely you know I mean people give people are going to give differently there are some people that are only going to write a check. Um, there's some people that will, you know, mail in mail in money or mail in a check. Um, I, I think you know anyone that wants to contribute is that's very beneficial. Um, but you really do need that traditional side as well. Um, I mean, technology doesn't solve everything, and I think the fact that the second that you lose that human interaction um, and just strictly rely on technology, I mean, that's that's just a recipe for disaster, really. Yeah, totally. Um... Anything else you can share about how um, online fundraising compares to traditional? You know, I, I just think um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think traditional fundraising, it's just that is not that is not going to go away. Um, but, you know, really using digital to tell your story. And I think that's really one of the most important things. And again, really using that to to scale because you can, you know, you, there, there are tools for marketing automation. There's ways to increase traffic with the Google grant piece, um, you know, using using really solid email marketing to kind of nurture people and get them to know you. There's just so many things that you can do, but at, at all, it's it's an ecosystem, right? And the technology has to mirror for the traditional and vice versa. And if you get that, then, you know, I think organizations are going to be in a much better shape than when they started. Totally. Uh, so we're going to move on to a couple news stories here. The first one is from the Monday Loves You blog, uh, written by Kevin, uh, and it is a series about web accessibility. Can you tell us about your series, Kevin? Yeah, so it kind of started out with me just trying to get a better understanding of, of all of these different compliance items. Um, you know, I went to, uh, you know, I went to kind of the, you know, different areas of on, on the web to understand and they're just really confusing. So in order for me to understand it, I need to understand it in my own words. So I'm like, all right, well, if I just write these different pieces, um, one for each, which I'm still in the process of doing, then I'm going to understand it and hopefully other people will understand it better. Really just kind of taking these, what could be complex compliance items and regurgitating them in a way that people can understand, including myself. <laughs> is there an item that you think is um, top of mind for everyone? I don't think there's necessarily one item, um, but you know, there are all of these things that is it's it's a four-letter acronym called called uh, WK I'm sorry WCAG or WCAG or WCAG you hear it in different ways, but it's spread out into four main areas. If the site is perceivable, meaning you know does if if there is an image of a car, you need to describe that it's a car, and having different ways to kind of explain things. It, that needs to be operable, so the site should be easy to navigate um, uh, not with without using the mouse. It needs to be understandable, so people can, uh, you know, you don't want to use a ton of acronyms that people don't know what it is. It needs to be compatible, so the site needs to be written in, in code that can be um, accessed in, in modern browsers. So I don't think there's one item per se, but I think it's really kind of looking at it holistically, holistically to make sure that, you know, your site and your kind of dig digital ecosystem uh, really kind of uh, meets those different success criteria. And there's a ton of success criteria, but you know, we won't go into that in detail now, but um, just as an overview, those are really good uh, good things to know. And are you seeing that um, nonprofits um, focus on WKEG a lot? No, because I don't think people know about it. Um, and that's one of the things that you know we're really trying to do is just to really relay that this exists. But no, I don't think a lot of organizations are are doing it. Um, they're being approached by some uh, you know different parties that are pushing them for this um, in, in different ways that I won't go into a ton of detail now. But, um, and then once they learn about it, it becomes so overwhelming that I think it goes in the back burner, but it, it really can't go in the back burner because legally this is a mandate. And uh, more importantly, I mean, the web should be accessible for people of, of, of you know, of all different backgrounds and, and, and all different, um, you know, all different facets of life. Yeah, totally. When I think about um, if you ask someone if they would be willing to build a building that didn't, you know, yeah, didn't sure. have ramps, um, I think most right. people would say no. Um, right. But when you talk about the equivalent in the digital world, it seems like we're not quite there in the maturity level of totally. uh, what is accept acceptable to culture. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, and I think it's a big statement, but I also think a lot of, accessi a lot of accessibility um, 
is getting pushed to the back burner because of design. Um, you know, and you go to certain, you know, like web award sites and some of the sites that um, that look beautiful aren't accessible. Um, but it's it's not a this or that. You can do something that's a really beautiful experience, but have it be accessible. It's just going to take more time in the planning and development and design process. It can be both. Um, it's not a binary thing. But I think a lot of times accessibility just gets pushed to the back burner because um, I think a lot of it's just kind of, yeah, the time it takes and, and the laziness. <laughs> yeah, I agree. You know, it's it seems like, um, you know, it, it is definitely the case that you can build a, a site that is beautiful and is accessible um you can for the most part do whatever you want to do um depending on your the what level of accessibility you're trying to get to sure, um, but it's almost like saying the issue is that people don't have enough budget to make their website beautiful not that um they don't have yeah. the capability yeah yeah i just don't i don't feel like it this also needs to be something that is a big a big budget drain, um, you know, to put in, I mean, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to boil this down too much, but, you know, putting alt text in on an image, I mean, that takes two seconds. Obviously that's just one compliance item, but it's more of just understanding that it needs to be done and, uh, you know, having some, you know, some time around that, but a project shouldn't be started unless there is time for that, you know, and, you know, Tim, I think back to your point about the building, no one would build, you know, no one would build a, a brand new building without without a ramp. So obviously, yeah, that takes budget, that takes planning, but you're also doing the right thing. Um, and I think I think that's important. Right. We've got to get to the point where our culture understands that doing that in the digital world is the exact same thing. Exactly. Um, exactly. And there's a big delta there, right? And there's a huge delta in order to get that. And I think I think we're going to see that more and more. I think we're going to have to. Totally. So if you want to visit that web accessibility um series you, you can go to mondaylovesyou.com slash web dash accessibility uh kevin i'm i'm curious you you mentioned that um your company rebranded and changed focus a little bit recently um can you tell us about that process yeah sure sure i mean it was a long process um i think you know we do we do branding projects for other organizations um doing it for yourself is extremely difficult it took probably 10 times as long for us as it would take for us to do it with anyone else you're just too close to it um so i think if we would do it ever again we would hire we would hire a different organization to to do it um but yeah so our original name was social rays and again it sounded very just antiquated it sounds it sounded very techy uh, we were taking an agency approach. Um, we came up with a new name um, and had some had some trademark issues with with that. And then we came up with a couple other names, still like weird trademark issues that it could resemble this other organization all the way around the world. So we wanted something that was just really kind of different and weird. Um, and when I was growing up, uh, my mom would say on you know every every Monday when I didn't want to leave bed and go to school, she would say. Hey, Kevin, Monday loves you, and so do I, but get your butt out of bed. Um, so that just kind of, you know, it's kind of a nod to starting the week with optimism, um, a nod to hard work. And, you know, my mom's pretty cool, so it's a nod to her as well. Um, so that was kind of, that was kind nice. of the genesis of it. That was kind of the genesis of it. Totally love but, it. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, we, we wanted a name that had kind of a story to it and had some personality to it. And um, so that was, yeah, that was kind of the beginning. We just wanted something you know, especially, you know, this this time of, you know, there's so many crazy things happening happening around the world and politically. We wanted something that just kind of oozes, opt oozes optimism. So we hope that communicates that. 
You got it. Um, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned during your rebranding process that um, it, it was a struggle to rebrand yourself, even though that's what you do um, day in, day out. Sure. I'm, I'm just curious, why do you think it is a struggle to rebrand your own organization? Yeah, it's, and that's a great question. And I think one of the biggest things is you're just so, you're so close to it. And I think sometimes you need someone else outside to to listen to you um, and to explain kind of what your problems are. You know, it's why, you know, so many people, they go to, you know, they go to a therapist or whatever. It's just because, you know, someone can listen to what they're saying and say, hey, like this, this is this is the issue. This is how, you know, this is how this is how you solve it. Um, and I think it's kind of something very similar to to doing something for yourself. Um, I, you, you need that you need that fresh eye you know the people that we that, that i work with here you know we've all been here for a really long time and i just think sometimes you need a, yeah you need you need that fresh eye someone to listen to what you're saying and say here's a solution or here are ideas for you to consider great point and that's it for today on mind your own marketing business we are out of time thank you for joining us on the show today today kevin no thanks tim thanks so much for having me you got it. Monday Loves You it is, is a chatty bunch. They want to hear from you. Uh, they, you can reach them at 312-893-9568 or hi at mondaylovesyou.com. And thank you to our listeners for joining us. You can download episodes of the program by going to fjordsdigital.com slash mindyourownmarketingbusiness or subscribing to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and iHeartRadio.